break through uh, what's familiar and uh, grant to us something fresh and vital. Help us to uh, become awake, uh, to be thrilled once more at the time that we find ourselves in. Father, um, we're thankful. We're thankful for life. We're thankful that you, you, you were committed to restoring your creation. You didn't give up. You didn't let us go. And so now, Lord, open your word to us. We confess to you that we are slow to learn. Our hearts are needing to be um, set on fire with adoration to you. And so bring your word to us, Lord. Convince us that it is you who speak. And we will give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been doing a bit of a journey uh, through Scripture, a short introduction to what's called redemptive historical preaching. Uh, The idea that we are not so much looking at our Bibles this way, which is very important. We all read our Bibles and we want something really important to come out this way. But we're looking at our Bibles more this way, diachronistically. We're looking through the, the chronicle the, the report, the story, and we're seeing it unfold. So this has been just a short introduction to that. I would think that uh, pretty faithfully, any, anyone who preaches here, uh, if they're using an Old Testament passage or a New Testament passage, they're going to give you the pipes underneath the Bible. There's pipes underneath our text in Luke 1, connecting way back to Abraham's day and beyond that. And there's pipes going further into the last pages of the Bible and uh, stopping at before the maps. So just make sure you know those maps are not inspired. But um, so uh, some people really get caught up in those maps, but I don't. Uh, but um, wow, it's a big weekend. Uh, big weekend is some sort of small little struggling movie out this weekend. And uh, May 25th, 1977, um, I was there. Some of you were there camping out in front of the theater. And, um, May 25th, 1977, that was the beginning. Episode 4 started with movie 1, if you can follow that. Okay. And then we saw that scroll. Do you remember the scroll? And it, Is it in the new movie? You're not, no giveaways here. Is it the scroll there in the beginning? Is it? Okay, I'm just checking. Not, no, no one's responding. I just, maybe you're getting popcorn. Uh, it's okay. That, you know, right. So, anyway, we saw the scroll, and it says, A long time ago in a galaxy. Look at this. Wow. Star Wars is part of our liturgy. Isn't that awesome. Unique church. Some of you visitors, I, I'm glad you came and tried our church at least one time. But, uh, yeah, so a long time ago. It was great. A great idea that you're actually in a distant galaxy, and it's not a new adventure. It's actually just joining something that's been going on for years and years and years. I always like looking at the space equipment, because all the space movies I grew up with, brand new, shiny you know, equipment. But, man, Luke Skywalker, he's flying around this thing. It's all rusting. And I thought, man, that's cool. That's realistic. You know, It's just you know, sitting around on some planet and it's just rusting you know I just thought that was pretty realistic anyway um, 
So this is it. A long time ago, uh, that's a big, big deal, isn't it? It's a, it's a cultural phenomenon. It's, a, it's grabbed all, all of our attention. It's probably one of the bigger cultural events next to the Super Bowl uh, in our, in our time. Um, I grew up in Southern California. Um, the big thing for a kid in Southern California is to go to Disneyland. Um, I remember the first time I went, I was like all children, really excited. Um, I grew up with a very creative, imaginative father. My father actually reminded me a lot of Walt Disney, or Walt Disney reminded me a lot of my own father. But I don't know if you know this, but the Fantasyland train, or the train there that picks you up and takes you into the, 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 the park, it, it says these words um, there in the, in the station. It says these words, Here you leave today. And enter the world of yesterday, tomorrow, and fantasy. It says that there. Leaving today. It's powerful. It's a powerful desire, isn't it? To leave today. Remember uh, a professional golfer was reflecting on the, some current tragic thing that happened. And he was being interviewed and being asked about the real world. And he said, I don't want to be part of the real world. Interesting. Today's kind of heavy, isn't it? Today is a concept, and uh, a whole theme theme park was developed over this very appealing idea. Walt Disney, Walt Disney had a vision for this place, and uh, it originally opened, you know, um, in Southern California there, and it was closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. Um, but then they realized the popularity of that park, uh, and so they they kept it open 365 days a year, Thanksgiving. And Christmas. But there have been, at least for the Southern California extension, uh, there have been three unscheduled days when Disneyland did not open. Uh, Disney World is, of course, shut down occasionally because of hurricanes or the threat of hurricanes, but Disneyland closed three times in history the day that JFK was shot, November 22, 1963. Uh, and January 17, 1994, the Northridge earthquake, one of the most powerful quakes ever recorded in North America, hit about 4.30 in the morning, and it was felt as far away as Las Vegas, and the park shut down for fear uh, to make sure that everything was safe uh, after all the shaking. And then the third time it closed was September 11. September 11, 2001. Even after the day it closed on September 11, only hotel guests were in the park the next day. Not a single person rode the monorail that day. And strangely, very little music was played throughout the park. And it closed earlier on September 12 because of lack of attendance. So today for at least three times in Disneyland's history. Today was too powerful. Today was too powerful. Even with all of Walt Disney's imagination, it was not enough to escape the gravitational pull of today. Now, a gospel church preaching what I'm doing right now 
is a unique medium in our time. It's difficult for us to handle this because gospel preaching, preaching is, uh, from those who studied the science of communication, preaching is considered a hot medium, hot, because you're dealing with truth. We have all been raised with a cool medium called TV. And now we are all being raised by even cooler technology called our smartphones. So the screen has gotten somewhat smaller, now it's getting bigger, but that screen is still communicating as a medium. This is a medium, right? So the medium that we've all been raised on is entertainment. Now, that isn't to say there aren't serious things on television. There are attempts at serious things, but they really don't go over. David Letterman and late-night talk shows, show hosts understand the medium of television better than anyone else, and that is you don't take anything seriously. Now, I am all in favor of good entertainment and uh, fantasy as a genre of literature, Tolkien and Star Wars, and that, it's okay, that's, I am not, uh, it is difficult to preach against pop culture, by the way, very difficult, because you're seen as sort of like the skunk who shows up at the party, you know, so um, I'm not doing that today, but I want to let you know that it's, it's very hard to, to focus on today, and it's, it's a, a marvelous thing to get on a train and be brought into another world. We desperately want to get into another world, and uh, it's hard. Uh, we can only handle so much reality. Um, why? Why is, it, why, is it, why is that the way it is? Why, why is it hard for us to focus on today, and why do we get so caught up in the box set DVD or the binge watching or what's all what's going on and uh, I think what's going on is that the question is who can fix today who can fix today today is full of trouble problems pain Uh, I've tried you've tried Uh, maybe whole nations have tried Education has tried. You think of all these movements. There's been, you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm to fix things. And then you get a little bit older and you start getting a bit cynical and you're like, wow, what, what really works? Well, I don't know. A night at the theater works and that kind of stuff, right? So um, what's remarkable about our text is that it is a text about today. It's about the old priest, Zechariah. It takes place around 3 or 4 B.C. We are in, in or around the temple. It doesn't really say. It's likely, but we might even be in Zechariah's home. But we are now listening to an old man who is a priest who has a remarkable grasp of redemptive history. And he is talking about his son, who will be John the Baptizer, 
who's related to Jesus, the Lamb of God, and he's talking about today. This is not a momentary diversion from today. It's actually an exclamation, a benediction. Look at verse 68. It's a praising of God. It's a benediction. Godward. Praise God. Thank you, God. The God of Israel, verse 68, for he has visited and redeemed his people. I love the past, past tense. This <laughs> is just a little baby here. God has already accomplished salvation. Quite remarkable. So let's, look through, let's just look through this text for a moment. We won't explore every little insight into it, but it's packed with imagery from the Psalms and Isaiah. Beautiful, beautiful coalescing of themes from the Old Testament. And has raised up, verse 68, uh, 69, raised up a horn of salvation. Horn is a word describing power, always describing power. Horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. I'll talk a bit about that. And he spoke by the mouth, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Wow. Wow. What's really going on here is one of the great themes of the Bible is whenever God visits. When there is a visitation, this is a big deal. And the biggest of all visitations is the Exodus. And God does battle with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh does battle with God. And God visits his people, and he visits them with power, and miracles are happening, and speech from God is being recorded. It is the great act of God in the Old Testament. He delivers his people from their enemies and brings them at least out into the desert where they can worship him. This Exodus imagery is what Zechariah captures in his announcement to the world of the significance of not only his own child, but of the Christ child to come. There's a blending of John's ministry and Jesus' ministry in this passage. Deliverance in the Exodus was by God the Redeemer. And they were delivered through the waters of judgment. Salvation came through judgment. 
your salvation comes through judgment. Jesus is brought through his life to a cross and through his judgment, you are saved. Salvation comes through judgment. We've looked in this short series on the good creation that we started not with man as a sinner, because the Bible doesn't start with man as a sinner. The Bible starts with man created as this royal representative of of God in the garden to expand God's kingdom. Man was given the privilege of, of being a ruler on behalf of God, exerting dominion upon this creation. That was the goal. And then the serpent comes and deceives, and man falls into ruin and rebellion, and man chooses to define what's real according to his own wisdom. Man becomes foolish. And we looked at this remarkable announcement that God would come in mercy with a warrior who would crush the serpent's head. And that unfolding drama is now there will be one born of of Eve. One of Eve's sons will be a redeemer. And we're watching in the Bible the birth of children is very important. And there's a lot of miracle births. And finally, the ultimate miracle birth in Jesus. And he is the warrior who does crush the serpent's head. He vanquishes death and the grip of death upon all who believe. And so this is the announcement. And good news is, is a theme of the Bible. It, it un, the unfolding drama of the Bible is that God is going to be faithful. There's a lot of dramatic moments. Will God come through? Will he abandon these people forever? Will there, will there be a remnant? How will they hold on? They went off into the, the Babylonian captivity, the exile. Will there be a return to the land? How is this going to happen? Will one of David's sons be reigning on the throne? How is that going to take place? Lots of drama. But I want to make sure we all understand that the Bible is us watching God. The Bible is is our is a declaration that we must listen and believe as we watch God be our redeemer the announcement the gospel is not moral instructions it is not improve yourself get better try harder Meet me halfway, I'll meet you somewhere, and we'll see how well you've, you've done. One time I asked someone who began a quest. This happened right down in my office. They said, uh, I am on a quest to read all the religions of the world, and I want to discover the true one. So... I mean, that's like, man, fish in a barrel right there in my office. I said, okay, great. So I started with the Ten Commandments. I said, well, let's, let's learn about Christianity. And so I started with the Ten Commandments. Now, does anyone know why I started with the Ten Commandments? You go ahead. There's a dialogue here. Why did I start with the Ten Commandments? What's that? Because you can't do it. Right. 
I want to find out if I'm dealing with a sinner. And so I read the Ten Commandments right there in my office. And I said, how are you doing in relation to these? And they said, well, I'm still processing. I said, okay, I'll wait. And then I said, a bit facetiously, what happens when you're all done processing? Can you do these things? And the answer is no. If you can't do these things, then you need something that you can't demand from God. You can't earn it from God, but you need mercy. And uh, it's okay that there's this dramatic moment there with the pastor and someone talking about the Bible. There's a moment there where, what are we going to do? Anybody feel this? I mean, are you feeling this? You see, it's vitally important that people grasp in our day and age their desperate status before a holy God. Because something marvelous, the mercy of God, is now going to be unveiled. Relief is going to come. And it's not going to be. It's not going to come from a train ride at a, theme, at a theme park, as fun as that is. It's not going to bring relief. In a modern world, where, as Blaise Pascal said, we specialize in diversion, Zechariah calls us to be awakened to today. As painful as it is, as difficult as it is, as much as we bring troubled hearts and troubled lives and troubled backgrounds, today feels too heavy, too much. I I can't deal with it. Brene Brown writes in one of her books that it is not too much to say that just about every one of us in some way or another are dealing with the pain in our lives with some form of addiction. It can be just this manic sense of coffee in the morning or the strong need for a strong drink in the afternoon. Uh, You see, I want to encourage you that God is interested in your today. And we have believed for so long in our generation that we can manage our today, we can manage our lives, we can perfect our lives, we can do it all. And what we are called to in the Bible is to hear and watch God's visitation. The great exodus is underway. The final Moses is here. And Zechariah understands. He's come, and he's entered the shadow lands. 
He's entered the darkness. He's entered the, the death zone. You know, that's a, that would be a weird theme park, wouldn't it? I'm sure somebody's tried it. See, even Walt Disney was smart enough to say, look, you can't, you can't, you can't, it can't be that real. That's, that's twisted. You've got to go into a happy world where it's just a small world after all. You know, ride that ride for seven or eight times and go crazy. How are you handling today? You have a redeemer? You have a redeemer in these moments? Oh, I know you're like me. You, you live in the future. You're, you're planning something. Someday, when, if, it will, you're hoping. You live in hope and you're planning something. I'm like you. But about, how about today? Do you have a redeemer in this moment? Maybe you're waiting for someone to be fixed. Maybe you're some, waiting for some, something to be fixed in your life. You have a redeemer in this moment? Zechariah has a redeemer. And it turns into words, and it turns into scripture he's memorized, and he wants the world to know about it. And it's good news, and it's not moral instruction. It's good news. That means that we have a redeemer who's going to do it all. He is the, he is the one of David's family who was promised It's a beautiful conversation that David has with God in 2 Samuel 7 and uh, around verses 12 and 13. It's what what theologians call the Davidic covenant. And it actually holds the remnant of God's people together during tumultuous times. That God would build a house, a dynasty for David. David wanted to build a house for God. David was tired of the tabernacle. It was embarrassing. All the other nations have these elaborate temples made of gold to their gods. David said, I want to build an elaborate temple to you. And God said, well, you won't build it. But here's the deal. And God reverses the, 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 the conversation goes like this. David, I know you want to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you. And the house I'll build for you is a dynasty. And there will always be one of your sons over the kingdom, and he will reign forever and ever. Now that covenant is what people remembered when they were exiled to Babylon and treated like the scum of the earth. And when they returned to the land, only about some 90,000 of them, scholars think, when they returned to the land, it was a lot of work to rebuild everything. And what were they hanging on to? And what, what, what psalms were they singing to their grandchildren? There will be one of David's sons on the throne. And then this little mound we call Zion, where the temple is built, this will be the place when all the nations will come streaming to it, and they will be asking us, tell us about your God. That's Micah 4 and Isaiah 2. Tell us about your God. You will no longer be the laughingstock of the world. You will be the light of the world. You will be the Israel that I've intended, and the nations are going to come to you. This promise was a big deal. It held them together as a people, at least the remnant. 
And now we're looking at Zechariah and Mary and Elizabeth and others who understand the, the one promised who would reign in David's household is being born to Mary. The great days are coming. The days described in the book of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3, the last days, the days of great blessing have arrived. And you are part of those days. This is the announcement. The great days of joy, and as I've shared with you, the joy is centered in something that is outrageous. And you can't, you can't presume upon God. You can't say this. And Jesus said, that's why I'm here. Yes, you can know that your sins are forgiven. And you can know this before judgment day. Is anyone stunned? Is anyone taken back by this news? It's okay to have a hot medium, isn't it? It's good to have a hot medium. It means we have to. We got to have hot truth. We got to have our uh, the truth brought in its binding authority to wake us up. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne, the throne of his kingdom forever. That's what God promised. And so God, to do this, sends Jesus into the shadowlands. What was it like? What was it like to be around Jesus? Let me, let me, uh, let me give you uh, an image of what it was like to be around Jesus. This is Jesus in the shadowlands. This is Jesus in, in the world of today that, you, that people uh, have a hard time entering into. This is Jesus in today. Ready? Here it is. He drew near the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. This is Luke 7. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Her son had died. Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, which is, which is the, the, the sort of the stretcher that he's on. And the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is Jesus in the shadow lands, in the land of death. And he is bringing the light of the glorious power of this kingdom to bear and his his healing ministry is a sample it's a picture of what is coming for our new bodies in the new heavens and new earth his teaching ministry is a sample of what it will be like to have new minds and to be fully conformed to the will of god his whole life is a preview a trailer if you will of what's to come He enters the shadow lands and he deals with the real issues of today. 
And he wants you to live in today. Desires for you to become a follower of his such that you can walk and talk and interact and connect with people who are in darkness and in the shadow of death. You are a big deal in redemptive history. You who know these things, you who have the gospel, you who know these things, you are the most privileged of all time. And for this time in which we live, where today feels too real, where escapes through fantasy abound in our time, people need your love. They need your connection. They need you to help them with their shadowy world and their dark world. So what are we, what is this announcement about in Zechariah? You know what it's an announcement about? It's about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. And I, uh, I don't know of anything that will probably encourage my heart more than to just reflect on God's faithfulness. Think about that. And you, you have your own history. You have Scripture's history. You can look into church history. You, we have many resources to help us see God's faithfulness. And then as you face the future, the todays that are coming, the todays that are coming. As you face those, that future, you have many, many promises to help you understand that the God who was faithful is going to be faithful. God is faithful in responding to your condition in this world. He's faithful, and let's give him praise. God has united you. If you are a believer in Jesus, he has united you to his son, and you will stand as a glorified being at the heart of a restored universe. When the happiest place on earth shuts down, because today is too powerful, we have a gospel That is far more powerful than that. And it is goodness. It is justice. It is is an expression of God's heart. It is is a, a dynamic communication from God to us that he has not abandoned us and he has taken all that is fearful and brought them into the work of his son, and we should be confident. God's faithfulness means he's dependable. It means he's trustworthy. It means he's loyal. It means he's resolute. It means he's reliable. It means he's true to his word. It means he will keep his promises. He is consistent with his character. And he is someone who comes through for you for the today that is too much. And it makes perfect sense that it is too much. May you begin to minister and help others 
enjoy. Enjoy life more connected to what's real. This is our calling as a church. People are desperately afraid of facing what's real. So they're choosing many other decisions and habits. This is a beautiful calling in our day and age to help people face the things that are very difficult, but to have the resources in the gospel to do this. May God richly bless us as a church in the new year as we consider these things. Let's pray. Father, you are dependable, trustworthy. You are Lord.